I thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to have my own network. And that's when I decided to develop, launch and lead them Global 500. And I launched it in 2020. And it has been the most successful brand I've ever launched. Anjanita Prevost is a former Hollywood body double and music video dancer turned award-winning feminine leadership expert and global business connector. She founded Fem 500, a networking organization for women at the height of the pandemic in 2020 to help other women learn to use their connections to get ahead. But her path was anything but straight line. There was challenges, you know, and like, I'm very honest, you know, I've been homeless, jobless, carless, cashless, and then you figured it out, you know, parentless. So I had to figure things out, but at the same time, I had a level of belief and confidence. In this episode, I asked Anjanita about her past and struggles as she navigated being in and out of foster care and where she got the confidence to build the life that she has created for herself. This is a truly inspiring story that will make you want to jump out of your chair and get your own destiny on track. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. In the full version, you will hear more details about Anjanita's biological mother and the surrogate mother who raised her to become a confident young woman. To watch, go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I promise you, there will be tears. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while writing down your goals for the new year, oh my God, I love writing mine, take a moment to head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the unstoppable Anjanita Prevost. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hi, everybody. Today, we have the amazing Anjanita Prevost. Hi, Anjanita. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. So I like to start first with you telling us a little bit of where you are right now. So what do you do and who do you serve right now? Awesome. Well, I'm a former Hollywood body double. I always like to say that. Turned award-winning feminine leadership expert. And I teach women entrepreneurs how to build social capital and monetize their networks. That is something that we all need. Yes, right. Now, right now. So mm-hmm. I like to start with, you know, we didn't all become a success overnight. And you actually have a very rich story. And I really like going way back. So can you tell us a little bit of what your childhood days were like? Absolutely. I started my journey in the Iberville Projects 
I spent my childhood in the projects. I was actually raised by a surrogate mother. And during the course of my childhood, you know, I experienced living below poverty. You know, we lived off food stamps, government cheese. And at the time, I thought, ironically, I thought she was my biological mother. Now I refer to her as my surrogate. But when I was 12 years old, she literally went into a seizure right in front of me. And from that moment, my life changed. She was wheeled away, put on a gurney, and I never saw her again. And at that moment, that's when I learned about some drama in my past, baby mama drama, I like to say. I learned that my biological father kidnapped me and took me away from my biological mother. So here I was living this life for 12 years. I thought that the woman, Emma was her name. I thought she was my mother. There were some clues. There were some times where I didn't feel totally connected. I think intrinsically, mm-hmm. I knew that something was off, but you know, I was a child. So, you know, I was living my life. And then that night when, you know, she went into a seizure, the next day, my whole world changed. And within about, I want to say about 30 days, I met my biological mother. And that was very intense because I'm sort of mourning the loss of the surrogate. And now I'm meeting the woman who, you know, gave birth to me. Let's take a pause right here. Mm-hmm. A lot of our beliefs that we have right now about yeah. ourselves, a lot of the actions that we take, and we learn this with more self-awareness in adulthood, right? It's not something we realize mm-hmm. in the moment. But when we look back at our upbringing, we realize those are the building blocks of who we are now, right? So I am very interested. I know everybody who's listening is very interested in knowing at the time, are there any stories that stand out, any particular things that happened that you believe really shaped the way you were looking at the world and has contributed to the way you look at the world now? Let's start there. I'll start really vague to see if something pops to mind. Absolutely. The very first time, I think I was about 10 and I used to look outside and I just would dream, started dreaming. And I had dreams. I wanted to go to Hollywood. And that was a big dream at 10. And I remember thinking, I can do this. (laughs) Now, I will say that I had a level of confidence when I was a child. You know, there's a picture on my website of me when I was five and I have my hands on my hip and I am wearing like a green and white dress with stockings and patent leather shoes at five years old. And I have two ponytails and like major attitude. But there was something about me at that age where I had a little bit of conviction and confidence that allowed me to move forward despite all of those obstacles, the drama surrounding me. And so that was the first moment, I think when I was 10. The second moment was when I sat down with my probation officer and he said, 
you know, I really don't want to separate you, you know, from your mother. I really don't like breaking up black families. You know, I want to keep you together. And he said, there's something special about you. There's something different about you. You know, you can do something really big. And, you know, he kind of was telling me all this stuff. And at the time I thought, well, maybe he tells all the little girls that because when you're in foster care, you're in the children's shelter, you're labeled a problem child. You know, people don't want you. You're being shuffled through the system. You're in the courts, you know, like it's not a good thing. So I didn't really take that on until I was aged out. And I just remember thinking, okay, I can do something. But there was challenges, you know, and like, I'm very honest, you know, I've been homeless, jobless, carless, cashless, and and you figured it out, you know, parentless. So I had to figure things out. But at the same time, I had a level of belief and confidence because I did not want to be a statistic. Like I knew the odds were against me. I knew that I was the underdog. I knew that I wasn't the child that everyone thought would amount to anything. So naturally for me, that's just my personality. If you tell me I can't do something, you're motivating me. Like if you say, oh, you know, it's not that great. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it better. <laughs> like, like that was always, you know, my approach. So it allowed me to deal with those obstacles and overcome those challenges and deal with people that didn't like me because they prejudged me or thought that I wasn't good enough. Can I ask you, I would love to start talking about how you even started to develop your abilities as a great social capitalist, as you call it. <laughs> I like that. Right? I want to start to talk about that. But I want to ask you just one last question about this phase in your life. Mm -hmm. So we just learned that up until the age of 12, you were developing a pretty solid self-confidence and self-coping skills Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Emma. We just Mm -hmm. learned that you went through a pretty rough time where you basically were put to the test. Your whole being was put to the test when you were early in your teenage years and then through foster care. What can you tell me about that? period of your life with your mother and in foster care, especially if you have any story that you can help illustrate, what was some core mindset belief that you really believe was formed during those years? And if there's a story that you can help us illustrate how that formed in you, does something come to mind? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So when I was placed in my first group home, So I was in the shelter and then I went to court and essentially that's when the court made me, I became a ward of the state. It was official and they took me away from my biological mother. So now I was placed in a foster home, a group home, and I'm in this home and it was a very lovely home. But I remember that I was going to have to work. Like I just got the bug to work. And there was a flyer that um, was posted on the door in the mailbox. I can't quite remember. But it was for a real estate 
a realtor, a neighborhood realtor, and they wanted you to hand out flyers in the neighborhood. And again, I just knew like, okay, I need to start making money because, you know, when you go into foster care, they kind of tell you, you're not going to have money, right? You're not going to have a lot of the things that you would ordinarily have if you were with your mother or father, you know? So I thought, okay, I need to work. So that was the first thing. So I'm 15, 15 years old. So I call up, you know, respond to whatever the ad said. And I said, I, you know, I want to do this. But then I started creating my own opportunity. And this is what I teach women how to do today. I asked if they needed someone to work in the office. And they said, yes. And that was sort of how I started my career. 15 on the weekends, every weekend. By the way, that's why I like working weekends because it's ingrained in me and I don't feel bad about it. But every Saturday and Sunday, I get up in the morning, get dressed, get on the bus, go to work. So by the time I was 18, I knew how to work. I knew how to get a job. And I'll tell you, I actually added two more jobs because I was working on the weekends and then I wanted to work part-time. So I started doing telemarketing. But again, you know, I just learned like you have to work. You have to, you know, bring in the money because, you know, this journey is actually going to end and you're going to step into another one. So you need to be prepared. So I'm grateful for that because I still have that enduring work ethic. And I approach everything the same way, the same like strategy, you know, that I used back then. I use that same strategy today and I teach that strategy to other women because oftentimes, you know, women, they want something, but they don't ask. And I just ask, you know, like, what do you think? You know, sure, I'll hand out the flyers, but do you have any other openings, you know? Yeah, we were thinking about having someone just answer the phones for eight hours. Can you do that? Absolutely. I made minimum wage. And that was it. What did you learn about? about, (laughs) What did you learn? That right there sparked an answer in you. I'm like, I want to know what came to mind. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Remember, I'm working in the Century 21 Realtors. I'm in the real estate office, dressed up, looking nice answering the phone, very professional. And I started to see all of these beautiful, luxurious homes because, you know, here I am 15, 16, and I see a $500,000 house and I see a $300,000 house. And I started dreaming. I want a beautiful house. I want to live luxuriously. I was in the mix. And it started to expand. This is why I tell everyone, you know, surround yourself with people who inspire you. So that's how my home journey started. So, you know, I love decorating. I love making my place very glamorous and luxurious. And I've inspired like so many girlfriends. Like I've had many homes over the years, but they come over and all of a sudden they're like, I have to decorate. Can you help me decorate? So if someone has been to my house, chances are, they've been inspired by me, but that's where that started. 
sitting in the real estate office on the weekends. And then by the time I was 18, like 17, I started to help with open houses. So I was able to go and see a lot of these homes. And again, it just inspired me. So yeah, that's what I was doing at the real estate office, answering the phones and looking at houses. (laughs) And that is actually super important to have a very big, hairy, scary vision of your life. If you can see it every day, that must have really fueled where you wanted to go. So thank you so much for walking us through all of this in such detail, because it really creates a picture for where you came from and how far you have come and how you worked so hard at getting to where you are. And it's really inspiring for everybody who's listening. So I would love to know When was the moment that you realized that having social capital is something that helps you? And can you please help us by first defining what social capital is? Absolutely. So most people network to quote unquote network. They're just out socializing. But when you network to build social capital, that's when you're going to get those results. You know, you're going to get the long term, you know, gain. So for me, I focus on social capital, obviously teaching women how to monetize your network, because that's what I essentially did. I mean, every single moment in my life was due to me monetizing my network. So even the real estate, right, deal, I call it the real estate deal at 15, the real estate deal that I closed at 15, I'm going to start saying that I closed a real estate deal at 15. But again, that's because I asked you, you know, for a job, but I also leverage the network. There's a realtor in the neighborhood. He knew my foster mother. I leveraged that relationship. So I just realized this. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this. Like I've been monetizing my network since I was 15 years old. Okay, I am the global phenomenon, okay? It's yes, you are. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> trying to connect the dots. Okay, that's it. It's official now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. So that is what social capital is, not just networking, but networking with a purpose, with an idea in mind, not just getting to know people and then forgetting about them. One of the really important parts that you talk about is the idea of follow-up, right? It's not the same to go to a conference and meet a whole bunch of cool people and get their business cards if you're going to come home and throw them all in the trash, right? So can you tell me, I'm really curious to know, when was that pivotal moment when you felt, I mean, because everybody can realize that they're good at networking, but not everybody's going to decide to turn it into Fem 500, right? Not everybody's going to decide to say like, hey, I'm kind of good at networking. Maybe I should create an entire leadership network for women. So I'd love to know at which point you realize that number one, this was a marketable skill. Number two, that this is something that people needed. Number three, that you were the person to bring it to fruition. When was that point? Well, I like to say that, you know, networking has been around forever. You know, there's big networking organizations and networking is, you know, it's not something that I created or invented, but what I did create was actually the principles of feminine networking and teaching women how to build social capital, monetize their networks. Because I, again, since the age of 15, you know, I've been doing this and then I started connecting other people. 
Ina, when I was in Hollywood, I would help girlfriends get jobs. I remember one time I was double booked on a commercial and this was so bad. Like this is not something that you're supposed to do. I was double booked on a commercial. I called my girlfriend. I said, look, they booked me, but I think you can go and do the commercial. She showed up. It was supposed to be my gig. She showed up. Of course they were pissed with me, but I took the chance and she ended up making something ridiculous, like 60, 70,000 on that commercial. Okay. She became my best friend <laughs> like still to this day. You know, she loves me. But I was always connecting people, making introductions, referrals. And so by the time I got to Hollywood and then fast forward, I started, you know, pivoting into this entrepreneurial world, coaching world. I started to think, you know, maybe there was something to this. So let me build it into my coaching programs. And then I met a guy at a networking event and he said that he actually charged people for referrals. I said, you charge people for that? And I didn't like his business model for me. I thought it was great for him, but it wasn't for me. So I carried on and then I kept, you know, networking, signing on to networks. I became partners with other networks. I founded Future Females London. You know, I was out there, I was networking, you know, doing my thing. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to have my own network. And that's when I decided to develop, launch, and lead them Global 500. And I launched it right smack in the middle of the big P in 2020. And it has been the most successful brand I've ever launched. It has brought me so much joy, so much peace, comfort, excitement. Sometimes I can't go to sleep at night because I'm too excited. (laughs) I have to control myself, calm my butt down. But it's just one of those things. And I know that it's my purpose. I know that it's my mission and it's what I was put on this earth to do because it's just so natural. And you know, zone of genius, like this is the zone of genius. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm great at, you know? And because of you, now I can say, I've been monetizing my network since I was 15 years old. (laughs) There you go. I'll take credit for bringing on that piece of enlightenment. Sure. So what we have learned then is, and this is the part that I want to like super clarify for everyone, Mm -hmm. is you just noticed that you had been just naturally using networking to move ahead, to help others move ahead, and that it was a necessary thing. So as you started to become more familiar with other business models and other people who actually monetize this superpower, then that's where the ideas started coming to you for how to turn this into a business. Am I missing something there? Like, that was it. Yeah. So can I ask you, Where does the coaching piece come in? Yes. So here's a tip. I don't identify with the word coach. (laughs) Here's why. Because when I started the business, I was in Hollywood doing my Hollywood gigs. And then all of a sudden I went into network marketing and people said, oh, you're a leader. You know, you should coach people. And I thought, well, that's not very glamorous. I want a very glamorous career. <laughs> like, 
I don't know about that, but I eventually embraced it. But when I embraced it, people didn't necessarily embrace me because Mm -hmm. I didn't look like, you know, we're talking like 2009. Okay. And I showed up in Los Angeles with my heels and my pink and my big hair and lashes. And people are like, you're a coach girl. Really? Mm -hmm. Who are you going to coach? What do you know? And I had some issues around that because I thought that coaches were perfect. I thought in order to coach people, you really needed to have a perfect life. Mm-hmm. And I soon realized that wasn't the case, but I had some issues around that. And then coaching became commoditized mm-hmm. and everyone started coaching. Everyone became an expert. Everyone was selling coaching. You go to a seminar in Los Angeles on Century Boulevard and, you know, you could build a coaching business in eight hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't want to be associated with that. I felt that, you know what, I have real skills, talents, and credentials. I don't want to put myself in that group. I'm very much a contrarian. Remember, you know, I'm different. I've accepted that, you know, the little girl with her hand on her hips. So for me, I made that decision to step away from the word coach. And I identify with the word strategist. Mm-hmm. Because what I do is I take my life experience and I share with you what didn't work for me back then. So you don't make those mistakes. And then I share with you what's working now. So how did I go from, you know, foster girl aged out of the, you know, foster care system to global phenomenon? How did that happen? So that's the way that I work with women. I'm more of a strategist. So I get in there and I look at what's going on and I give you a strategy, the same thing that I do for myself, but I still also, you know, mastermind with big thinkers and great minds. But I wanted to say this regarding Fem 500. So the way that I structured it, it's networking, strategy, leadership, collaboration, and accountability. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. It's the only network that offers that framework. Yeah. So that's how I deal with the coaching. Cause I know a lot of women and I've had women come in and they think, Oh, this isn't coaching <laughs> because they don't see coaching. Right. But you're getting strategy. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that's more powerful because someone can just sort of like, you know, cheer you on and say, Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. Rah, rah, rah. You know, like when I was a major rep, but when someone zeroes in on your issue and gives you a very specific strategy, you know, yeah, totally different. That is a really, really interesting point because a lot of our audience are either already coaching or aspiring coaches. And it's something that they should know about the industry, that there is such thing as, you know, the difference between a coach and a strategist, a coach and a consultant, you know, so they should definitely figure out what they want their business model to be, what they want to be teaching and how they want to do it and really start identifying themselves as what they truly are. So this has been incredible. I want to ask you just a couple more questions and then I'm going to let you tell us how to find you and follow you. But before we get there, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful business? Oh. <laughs> well, people tend to judge me. You know, I mean, people have labeled me all sorts of things. I think that's probably the number one. When I went into the coaching business, people thought that I was like someone's trophy wife or, 
you know, or you're just like a model chick, you know, what do you know, you know, can you really help me or even, you know, women, unfortunately, you know, I, I remember I would dress up and I would go to conferences and ladies would look at me in the ladies room and they look at me and they say, oh, are you a model? Are you a stylist? And I remember getting defensive because I thought, gosh, why do people keep asking me am I a stylist or a makeup artist? You know, they just assume, right? And that's part of the work that I do now is showing women how to stand in their feminine power. You know, you can be feminine and powerful, you know, so that is probably number one, you know, being judged. People tend to do that, but it's getting better now. I think because people, they see my body of work mm-hmm. and then they have to accept, you know, okay. You know, she's not quite the person that I thought she was, or if they look at a picture and they, you know, they make assumptions, but I hope I answered your question. What would you say to someone who's listening right now, who feels the same way, who feels like they're being judged by their appearance or by their demographic, right? Or being a minority or being a woman and feeling like that's kind of holding them back. The fact that people judge them by the cover, um, what would you say to them to encourage them to keep going? Well, you have to own who you are. You have to own the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I know all the gory details (laughs) about my life, you know, and I own it. You know, I talk about my hardships. I talk about my idiosyncrasies, obstacles, imperfections, flaws, you name it. I don't have a problem talking about it. That empowers me, but also that lets people know that you're not going to attack me for who I am. Mm -hmm. I accept who I am. So that's how I deal with it. So that's what I would recommend because people can, you know, they can judge you, you know, they could look at like this video and say, oh, why did you wear pink today? Why did you wear pink? Like what? she's wearing pink, you're wearing pink. Why did you wear pink today? Like, did you all coordinate that? You know, like, how did that happen? You know, people do silly things like that. Yeah. But you have to own who you are. I call it unapologetic conviction. Yeah. You know, you have to have that. So if everyone who's listening had to do what you're about to tell them, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? Niche down. Niche down. Yes. Because that's what I did. I decided I'm going to niche down. I'm going to focus on a specific area and I'm going to build a brand around that specific area. And I'm going to keep myself in a category of one. I don't worry about competition and business is so much easier this way. Yeah. So niche down. So this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being so generous with your stories, with your lessons, with your time. So where can people go and find you, follow you, and become members of FEM 500? Absolutely. So you can go to femglobal500.com. And also check me out on LinkedIn because I have the community networking in stilettos. And we're up to about 20,000 members. And uh, we host events regularly. Our events average 300 to 500 women. So I always say, if you want to see 
that I practice what I preach, come check out the event. The first event is complimentary. You can come and check out the event. And I walk you through sort of my framework for building social capital, monetizing your network. And then I invite the ladies to introduce themselves with a million dollar introduction cheat sheet and connect, collaborate, promote their business, generate leads and referrals and resources. So it's an amazing opportunity. So please check it out. I love it. And we'll put all that information in the show notes. Anjanita, thank you so much for being here, for being so generous with your time and your lessons. And we've loved having you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ina. You're awesome. This is an awesome show. I love your show. I think what you created is amazing. And you are a global phenomenon. I love this interview. I have to say this. Your interview with John Lee Dumas, Did I I pronounce his name correctly? Yes, you did. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that that was such an insightful interview and it inspired my podcast, Billion Dollar Rolodex. You gave me a couple strategies. So thank you for that. (laughs) That is great to hear and it totally makes my day. Thank you, Anjanita. And we will see you at femglobal500.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering how you can also get started creating a world-class network. In the next episode, I'll give you the tips you need to set yourself up for success through social media engagement. So make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next companion episode. And if you're an entrepreneur and you'd like to send us your tip of the week for a chance to get featured on a future companion episode, make sure to go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip to request the full instructions. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.